Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, Mr. David Buggle, and from TheBigKickoff.com, it's Nathan Doyle. Well, the Premier League started back over the weekend. The opening game of Fulham and Arsenal was always going to be an interesting opener, especially after the Gunners' victory over Liverpool in the Community Shield. A 3-0 win and all three points for Arsenal. Nathan, William made an impressive start to his Arsenal career. He did. He was probably the standout player for me for Arsenal himself. And uh, I thought Gabriel, I sent a half, made a good start as well. Had probably a shaky first 10, 15 minutes. After that, he got himself together. And he really looked like a solid um, new addition to that uh, back, back line, which is needed. You know, that's the one. Probably the most I needed to shape up the defence rather than going forward. As much as Williams a good um, new addition, they have the likes of Mustafi, Louise, back at centre halves that are just, just going to be leaking goals and leaking mistakes. So I think that that was more the impressive one for me now, really. Um, but yeah, Williams a cracker player. We know what he can do at Chelsea, and the fact that Chelsea let him go, I know like we will get into Chelsea, but the fact he let him go is um, I, I thought it was pretty strange because even at in, even though he's in his early thirties, he still shows he's a top Premier League player. Yeah, I think it was more the contract length that I think Chelsea would have liked to keep him, uh, but they couldn't agree to the contract length. So Arsenal have benefited there. Nathan, the front three, Lacazette, Aubameyang and, and William, definitely something to fear for all Premiership defences. Yeah, definitely. Look, I know there's a bit of a uh, Aubameyang contract situation that's a little bit over the year, but as a guy who said it was on commentary for the match, they just give that man whatever he wants. And I think Arsenal showed, like, he's, he's, for me, he's one of, if not the best striker in the league. Would you be a like, bit nervous, Nathan? Would you be a bit nervous now that he hasn't signed you? Yeah, I think I was really big. I thought it was something that he would have liked to uh, to get down. Even, like, I, I wouldn't think he'll go in this transfer window, but look, the window's still open. You never know what can happen. So I think if he's, Sooner rather than later, he'd want to get him down. But if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd certainly want, I would have wanted him to have pen and paper on a new contract before the season started. Because he's, he's the best asset in the team. And I know we said, like, Lacazette's a good player, as William. But I think if they lose the Bamiyan, all of a sudden, you know, that that's where the main goals are going to come from. So if they lose the Bamiyan, all of a sudden, that front three line, they lose the, probably the, lose the best player that's going to provide the most goals. And all of a sudden, you know, things aren't that rosy, maybe. So it's, uh, it's definitely something that you'll want to get down on a pen and paper and, and commit his future long term to the club because Arteta seems to have a lot of uh, a very good factor back around Arsenal. So if they can get him uh, nailed down, then it'd be all the better for him. Yeah, and he does look happy there. Anytime you see him on the pitch, he does look happy. He's he's well into it. But I mean, Barcelona, it's, it's hard for Aubameyang to say no to a Barcelona if they offer him money and, and the contract that he deserves. Yeah, as far as I thought, what the player wants, like, um, he doesn't look like a player, like you said, he looks happy, he doesn't look like a player that wants to really go anywhere, or wants to live, but, like, a lot of them do say, it is your cliche, that like, their football is career is short, so if someone does come in for a big money offer, it, it will, it'd be hard-pressed, probably do tone it down, and I, I wonder, like, is this, is it a bit of a negotiation tactic, you know, holding out and seeing, because I'm sure people will be looking at a band if he, if he hasn't signed a new contract yet, like, one of the elite strikers in Europe. His goal scoring record speaks for itself. Like he's very close to winning the goal in the boot last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's really something that they, they, they want to be sorting out uh, very quickly. Yeah, I can't see them not sorting it out. If they do, well, they deserve everything that comes in front of them then after that. Dave, Arsenal, as Nathan had said, looked a lot more solid defensively and the back three of Tierney, Gabriel and Holding seemed to work well. Yeah, Gabriel was very solid. Obviously, he got the goal, but that's neither here nor there considering he was brought in to be a defender. But overall, he looked quite solid at the back considering it's the first game in, the, in what's allegedly the quicker league in in, in Europe. Um, and Rob Holding's stock has just gone up and up and up under Arteta. Like, he was one of the guys who was all set to be gone. I think it was Newcastle was one of the big rumours. And now, all of a sudden, he's slowly becoming a mainstay. Um, Tierney is Tierney. We know him well. It's just he seems so finally settled in. Maybe it's his surrounding areas around the London area and, and what have you, but he seems to be settling in and showing the class that he had at Celtic. Um, and all, overall, very, very, like that's the main note I have about Arsenal. Very, very solid, which is not something I'm used to saying when it comes to Arsenal. Um, you usually expect a little soft centre and they'll, they fold under pressure. Now, let's face it, this Fulham, 
we won't get super duper excited. But for as the first game of the season goes, um, it's all going in the right direction. And just a little quick thing on Aubameyang, like you could see a little glint in the eye of Arteta, and he kind of said, kind of what what the exact word was like. Yeah, you'll know in the next couple of days. But he's incredibly confident that that's going to be done. Um, and as you all said, like the signs are there that he's gonna he's gonna stick around. But uh, as regards the back line with the two fullbacks in a Bayer and and made a Niall to his looks like he's gonna stay now as well uh, to back up the three at the back. You know, without getting overly excited, Arsenal are Arsenal are certainly improved. That's the best. That's the best way to put it. Arsenal certainly improved. There's no two ways about it. And Zana Jacka in the in the centre midfield. He just looks. He looks a different type of player. He looks a lot more focused and a lot more driven. Yeah. I know he, he could have been gone this time last year, and now he's. And it probably helps not having a crowd there to get on his back and okay, stuff like no that. Fans, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Do they do they need him badly in that team? Uh probably have the wrong person. I'm not the biggest fan. I don't think he's really done a great job at Arsenal. Obviously, you know, good start to the season. This that, and the other. Players can turn so quickly. Um, their opinions can turn so quickly. Their attitudes can turn so quickly. So the signs are there that he is, but he's probably the best of what. If you want somebody with a bit of steel or with a bit more of a spine, he's probably the one that has it the most that's currently in that squad. So kind of to answer your question, it probably is a yes, but me, I'd be holding judgment just yet because... You know, he's been very topsy-turvy in his whole time there, so I wouldn't be jumping the gun just yet to say that's it now. He's going to be a, a mainstay and whoever's in beside him is, is a kind of a, uh, like a co, what's the right word, a Spartan, um, a Spartan role with him. But I would reserve judgment, but he's probably the best of what they probably need, which is a bit of a, a steal in that middle of the park. But the guy can play. You know, he's always impressed with Switzerland. So there's no reason why we can't see that at a more consistent level. And that's the biggest thing with our, with, with Jacket, it's consistency. And if he can start bringing that week in, week out, well then, it's a job well done by Arteta to turn him around. Because he's been very inconsistent up until, say, the Arteta reign. And what do you make of the goalkeeper situation? Leno back in instead of Martinez. Yeah. What, do you, what do you make of that? Well, by all accounts, I think not... The rumours are they're going to accept a bit of around 15, 16 million mark to potentially Aston Villa um, for Martinez. So there will be no debate if that's the case. Um, Martinez definitely done enough to, to stay in the side, but it looks like he wants to go and he wants to play regular football and they're going to get a decent wedge of money off the back of his success at the end of last season. So the fact that he didn't start, I would be very surprised if he's still at Arsenal within the next week or two. But the, the the talk is that they have accepted a bit of around 16 million mark from Aston Villa. And what happens then if Tom Heaton comes back from injury? Does Martinez make that move and then, and then be stuck on the bench again? Or is, is he good enough Absolutely. to... That's, that's the risk. That is the risk. Um, but then again, if he's confident enough, um, he has a chance now to, to cement his place and Heaton unfortunately has to be number two. Like there's, it's it's cutthroat nowadays in, in, in the goalkeeper stakes. Um, so Heaton doesn't just walk back into the side if Martinez is there and doing what he's done at Aston Villa. Like you, you see some of these players. Look at Joe Hart and the career he had, and then the second half of his career. It's just it's night and day, and and, and it happens so quickly with goalkeepers nowadays. They're they're definitely a bit more cutthroat and a bit more ruthless managers nowadays with with with, with goalkeepers. So if Martinez does come to the likes of I'd be very nervous if I was Tom, Tom Heaton. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nathan, a Wilfred Zaha goal seeing Crystal Palace see off Southampton. What do you make of the two teams' chances this season? Um, I think that before the season started, a lot of people fancied uh, Palace to really struggle. Personally, I didn't see it. I think they have enough in the squad. They have a couple of decent players that could take those Zaha. Uh, you will top's a very good player. Andrew Townsend on his day. Um, can do a few little bits. So, I, in terms of relegation, that a lot of people skip them as I personally don't see it. I think they probably will. It could be in the bottom five, but I can't see them going down. I think you have the likes of Fulham, uh, West Brom, possibly Brighton, West Ham, that I'd consider more relegation threats than Crystal Palace. It seems to be all, all science. I know they got beaten on the weekend, but 
for me, I think there's a, there's a little bit of more positivity around Southampton. Obviously, to be hoping Danny Yanks can kick on and continue with the form he had last season and bring it up to this season. You seem to be so, so you can see what the manager, the new manager coming in now. It can be a while, but he's starting to put his stamp on the team now at this stage. So, like, it won't be anything exciting for Southampton, but it, I would have thought possibly a mid-table finish like the similar to last season, but yeah, as two of these teams you've seen, Crystal Palace um, probably deserved the win on the day. Wilson Zahar put a, got a couple of goals and a few decent chances. And he was probably the, the best player on the pitch by far for me. But yeah, it was a, a Crystal Palace fan or Southampton fan, I wouldn't be worrying about relegation, to be honest. No, and Roy Hodgson's confirmed after the game that Zaha is still looking to leave the team to play in your preferably a Champions League team. So if he did leave, where would he fit in? Like, I, I, I'd like to see him stay in the Premier League. The Premier League definitely suits him. He, he could play in, in, mo, in most of the bigger teams in the league. I think if you probably Liverpool or Arsenal are the only two that you probably look at that you wouldn't really get into. Like, you could I think if he we went to United, he'd, he'd push for that starting place. He'd definitely get in or somewhere like Tottenham and probably Leicester or something, you know. But I'd like, would, I'd like to see him stay in England because the, the style of the league seems to really suit him, you know. Like, he's obviously a very skill, skill, uh, skillful and silky player. But you've seen over the years, he has bulked up and he, like, he's used to the physical side of the game. Like, every season, he's really one of the most powerful players. So he's started getting used to the physical side of the game. He's started getting tough and he's a bit rough around the edges now as he's got older in his career. But uh, yeah, I think that I think it would be the best destination for him. Look, he, he could go somewhere like Italy and Spain. It'd be less physical and especially in Italy, it's a much slower league. He could go and be the next big team in, in the Serie A. But yeah, as, as a fan of the Premier League and as a fan of Willipa Saha himself, I would like to see him stay in England. I think it's a super. And what about the four teams that are in the Champions League? Does he fit in any of those from in, from the Premier League? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fitting. Like I said, in pretty much all of them, bar um, well, Chelsea is doing well. Bar Chelsea and Liverpool, probably think it's fitting the rest. Would he go back to Manchester United? Probably not. Last probably wouldn't think so. Like it was, it was, it just didn't really work out for him. And I know it wasn't really the best. He didn't really leave on the best of terms. And he's probably but, um, not going to. He, he probably won't get in ahead of Sterling or Bernardo Silva, or so he's probably not going to make it in the in the in the English top four. So then it probably you're looking at. Um, I I I probably put me in ahead of Silva. I think on his day that uh, with that hard as a cracking player, to be honest. I, I, yeah. In the head. He's, he's uh, in the head. Who? Head of uh, Silva. I I put me in ahead of Bernardo Silva on Manchester City. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I just, I just think, just yeah, I just like Saha. Just the, the league really suits him. I just think he's much more of a more of a consistent player too. And he's like, I know he's, he's you know, he can always have the argument that he's a, he's a big fish in a small pond. But I think if he went to somewhere like Man City or either Manchester club, I think he'd really shine. Yeah, well, you know, like you know, he'd even have someone like Greenwood. But I think he really could push either either guys. Like if you look at someone like Silva and Greenwood, I you know it. And Silva City, I think he could push either for a starting place. Yeah, I, I've only seen him once live up against uh, Everton and Goodison Park, and Seamus Coleman marked him off the pitch. And once Seamus Coleman, after about fifteen minutes, had the run of him, he just faded out of game altogether. Didn't want to know. So I'm not convinced by him. I think he has obvious qualities and talents, and you know can score goals and is a big, as you said big player in, in the Crystal Palace small pond but I'm not sure I think I, I do think in Italy I do think that would be brilliant for him I think you know m- maybe even Germany but I don't see him in the top four teams in, in England at all anyhow we'll leave it there and we, we'll see what happens there obviously the, the team's going to have to come in and pay big money to get him and if they don't want to pay the big money he's not going anywhere he's going to be playing with Crystal Palace this year now Saturday half five the kick-off scene, the battle of the champions. Liverpool and Leeds was intriguing for so many reasons, Dave, and it didn't let us down. Uh, a million percent. Uh, just very quickly, there's a guy in my office as a Leeds fan and I rang him on Friday for a bit of stick and a bit of banter, but the two of us both agreed that the two styles of the both sides, it'll turn out to be a cracker for the neutral, maybe not necessarily for ourselves. And unfortunately, we were bang on the money because it was a very nervy game as a fan of Liverpool, and I'm sure it would have been the same for himself. 
But for neutral, just a cracking game. Both teams like to play fast tempo, kind of pressing game. Try and play fast tempo on the ball as well. It's not a case of hanging it around. So it's like a pinball machine for a little while. Like it was great to watch, and it was great to see Liverpool put under that pressure and and and, and holds poked and with a bit of luck. With a bit of luck, obviously we're going to touch on a few subjects no doubt. I can imagine with what happened with the game and the way Leeds got at us. Uh, it might just get us into gear, ready to go for. The, the big games ahead obviously we've got Chelsea and Arsenal coming up but for the neutrals super game ball to watch and Leeds are going to be a definitely a team to watch this year very impressive no fear and uh, could have would have should have got something out of the game as well yeah who who stood out for you on, on each team I suppose is there any two players that stood out well, well it's the obvious one on the Liverpool side um, I know two of them are penalties the second goal was a cracker he put it right into the angle it was kind of when he went from post, it was literally the only place he could have put it. And he literally stuck it right in, in fairness to him. But he did look lively throughout the whole game. Um, as did one or two, only one or two others, I have to say, for Liverpool. But uh, he probably stuck out more. And, and it's not just because he got the three goals. He, he definitely looked like he's had a good pre-season and he looks very sharp. That's his fourth, like, that's this fourth. Yeah, this is the start of his fourth season. And he scored in the opening game in every game, so... It's one of the things I read last week for didn't he fancy football and that put me in good stead with a hat trick and I used to be captain so sweet is enough. Huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he scored in the opening game every time. So for for Liverpool I would stick in it out and say Saha or Salah, sorry, we were talking about Saha. But in relation to Leeds, yes, very much the the team effort was very good. But do you know who surprised me more than I expected? was Bamford. I actually thought he was quite decent considering uh, with Rodrigo coming in, I thought he'd be eventually... He's got to make it very awkward for Rodrigo. Um, and obviously, Jack Harrison was very good on the left, but that was a... That was a it looked like a very blatant tactic by Leeds to attack uh, the, the left or uh, the right-hand side, which is the right thing to do. And he, he, of course, he got a crack and go and then it was a nice long ball, but it wasn't even a long ball. It was just a nice direct pass. And of course, he took in and finished it nicely. So I would probably have to go Salah for Liverpool and I would probably stick my neck out and say, yeah, probably Jed. Toss up between Jack Harrison and Bamford for me for the for, for Leeds. And Dave, Naby Keita got the nod ahead of Fabinho. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I think Naby Keita should have started. I think he had a half-decent uh, finish in the lockdown and he's had a very good pre-season. To be honest, I don't think he was getting the nod over Fabinho. I think Henderson was put in to get game time for, as I said, the big games ahead. He definitely looked like he needed it. He definitely didn't look at the races. I think it was a gamble by Klopp to get some minutes under the belt for Henderson for the likes of, as I said, Chelsea and Arsenal coming up. I don't think Fabinho was necessarily dropped for Keita. I think it was more so Henderson came in to get some game time. As I said, a bit of a risk. But I think that was, that was my thinking of it more so. Because Keita, in fairness, has had a good uh, pre-season. He looked impressive in a couple of the games I've seen. Even last weekend, when they played Blackpool, obviously the internationals were on, but Liverpool only, like apart from a couple of the European players, they had a, a fairly full-strength side. He played against Blackpool the week before. Um, and, he, and he impressed again. Very attack-minded, very forward-minded. Looked okay on, on Saturday. Not overly impressive, but I think, as I said, I'll... I'll I think it was more game time for Henderson for the bigger games ahead over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Leeds caused all sorts of problems uh, for everyone, including Martin Tyler, who was struggling with cock at the back. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Bamford, Nathan, as Dave uh, alluded to there, I wouldn't be his biggest fan. I still don't think I'm his biggest fan, but he actually did have a decent game. Yeah, in fairness, I, I always class him as a championship player at best. I, 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 he's always one of the people that I thought if he ever came up in the league, which he is now, I wouldn't have gave him much game time, especially with Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo coming in. But in fairness to the lad, like, and he, um, he played decent and he took his goal well. I know it was a bit of a mix up at the back, which is um, just strange the whole game, actually. I thought Liverpool were very, very uh, uncharacteristically uh, pulled back. I thought they were a bit, looked a bit shaky. But he took the goal well now, in fairness. Like, um, yeah, I think he's, he, he, might, he might make it awkward for Rodrigo, but it'll be consistency now for Bamford in the, the top tier. 
can he do it on a weekly basis? I'm not too sure. Like I said, the fell but I am in the same boat as you. I, I'm not overly convinced by him. But look, you never know. We could have a decent start, though. So he'd be, uh, he'd be full of confidence after getting his, um, his fourth Premier League goal of the season. Yeah, one goal and one game can't beat that. Uh, Dave, Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk looked a little bit more sloppy than anything, but Alexander-Arnold... Something that I've always talked about, he looks good in a team that's going forward, has possession of the ball, but when you're asked to defend, I I wasn't com- definitely wasn't convinced by him. I, I, I've never been convinced by him as a, a as a defender. Is this a blueprint now for other teams to go at Liverpool, or can you just uh, can you just do that? Leeds have been working on that for so long; it's their, it's what they do. Can can other teams sort of mimic that? Um, that's the best way to say it, Shano, is to mimic it because it's not a blueprint because the blueprint has been out there for the last year or two anyway in relation to that. So it's not new there that that's probably our weakest point to try and get in at, at, at our defence. But Bielsa is known for being incredibly uh, um, stickler for detail and you could see it. It wasn't like a long ball. It was a structure pass to Jack Harris for their fourth goal and you could see where the gap was Alexander had to get out and of course then once it was behind him it leaves it mad open does one of the defenders come out and, and pick him up and if they do then it opens more gaps because obviously Leeds were bombing on so in relation to Arnold I am not overly surprised ironically this probably his worst game for Liverpool last year was actually in the opener against Norwich again that doesn't mean that's what happens and he gets a bit better um, but it's definitely something for Liverpool to be looking at because it's obvious that it's going to keep happening more often um, it's our weakest link in relationship because, and it's more. I do agree with you. I don't think he is strong enough defensively, but it is very much. It's more of a positional sense that what gets him into trouble in the first place before he even gets a chance to defend. Um, but that is our weakest. And Robertson can make it up. I think he is a better engine than Arnold, and I think he obviously is a better defender. Um, while Arnold is unfortunately, I don't think he quite has the same engine, and therefore he doesn't quite get back as quick, or he doesn't quite. He, do, he just doesn't seem to have it uh, defensively as, as much as uh, Robertson does on the on the left hand side. But it's definitely our kind of a weakest point. And if you put your kind of quick players out there, or you kind of uh, keep your left midfielder up top and ready to go and take that gamble, and obviously counter attack with pace, that's very that's where we we could be at our weakest. But at the same time, you know, it's no shock to you, Roy. I've mentioned it uh, on our show a few times. The whole Van Dyke thing, you know, when he first joined Liverpool, you, like the way they went on, he, he, it was like he could walk on water. He has this in his locker, that type of defending. When it comes off, everyone waxed lyrical about it and they think it's the greatest thing ever. I remember his little backheader against uh, Brighton in the lockdown, everyone going, oh, look at how cool it is. There's a certain type of centre-half that annoys me, and I'm not saying it's Van Dyke, but do you know the centre-halves who always try and prove that they're cool on the ball? But they're not cool on the ball, they just take bloody too long on the ball. And they hold on to it for too long, and it's, there's no one around them. And it's kind of like, will you just move it? But it's like certain defenders get, or certain commentators get sucked into, oh, he's very cool and calm on the ball. He's not. He's no sense of urgency. And unfortunately, Van Dyke slips into that from time to time. He tries too hard to be too cool and too and 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 too slick. And when it when it comes up, like there was a tackle by Ben White tonight, and I actually think it put him off the pitch where Werner was in. And he basically just put everything on the line, slid right in front of him, got the block. But Dyke didn't do that for Harrison's goal, therefore it didn't go in. Whereas we can blame Aaron all day long, but he just went in with a half a leg. And then the second goal, trying to be a bit too national on flicking it back right, instead of having a sense of urgency and getting rid of it. Like I said to you before on the show with Watford, he let, he let cross in for no reason, absolutely baffling. And there's many a time where when I'm watching Liverpool, and I'm wrong to tell you to say, all right, get a bit closer now, or get Adam a bit closer. He loves to sit back and let you make the decision, which sometimes comes off, but then sometimes it doesn't. And he can, basically, what I'm trying to say, he's a top defender, but he is not. <laughs> he's not the Messiah. It's a bit like the life of Brian. He is not the Messiah. And that can happen, and that's in his locker. And it's been in his locker for the whole of pre-season, and it was in his locker near the end of the season. And hopefully... With Carragher coming out and saying the arrogant piece, whether it's re- whether it's correct or not, is irrelevant. Hopefully, that's enough for him to go right. I'll show you again, and he goes back to what he's known to be. 
but that's in his locker and people need to realise that. I watched him week in, week out, and I'm not going to sit here and say he's the greatest defender of all time. And even this little podcast the other day, uh, after the game, your man straight away, I don't even know who it was, oh, you know, Virgil of Dyke made a mistake, but he doesn't usually make, he doesn't normally make them type of mistakes. But ironically, for the last three or four months, he's been doing it quite consistently, but we can't be seen to be going against our original opinions, you know? But that's okay. I'm not saying he's a bad defender. I'm just saying he has it in him from time to time and he needs to sharpen up badly. Yeah, Liverpool did go on and win the game. Nathan, Rodrigo comes off the bench and gives away a penalty like that. If you're the manager, what do you do? Um, it was it's just a typical strike at challenge, wasn't it? You know, you could lazy challenge. It was just a clumsy launch. It's just like a very lazy tackle. It happens. There's not much a man Jack can really do with that, you know. It's um yeah, it's just, just there's not much you can do. It's just just an outright, just a just a lazy, clumsy challenge and it really it is drive in. Yeah, it, it's what's all it's about really. Oh, but you can't you can't just yeah. say it's a striker's challenge in the box because you can't you can't you can't be doing that. You know, there has to be some sort of responsibility. Of course you can't do that's why we're sitting on the couch. Of course you can't be doing it, but that's what happens quite consistently. <laughs> that's what happens in these games, and that's why a lot of forwards tend to concede a lot of penalties. Yeah, um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't see the likes of Harry. You wouldn't see the likes of Harry Kane going and giving penalties away like that because he has a brain. You know, Rodrigo obviously doesn't have a brain because he's coming on. They're, they need him badly and then he half-heartedly throws a leg in the general direction in the box that's just not having a brain probably more, probably more so for me it's not having a, not having a defense, defensive brain I just yeah that's like that's really, even on my notes that's all I have just written down is uh, stupid strikers challenge like that's, that's all it was so I've seen it a few times you might not see like the life of Harry Kane doing it but like the, the, the top strikers but you'll have like you know anytime you see a half decent striker come back trying to defend the corner late into the game. It's it's a risk going to going to take, you know. Like they're not defenders, and they're always going to lunge and make clumsy tackles and make rash decisions when they're um, they're back in um, you know territory they're not used to. Yeah, uh, I think I'd go through them now. In all fairness, losing what an effort everyone put in, and then for something as sloppy and as lazy as that, I, I don't think I'd sit, let them see the squad again for a month. Anyhow, West Ham versus Newcastle, uh, both teams relegation candidates if you look at the bookies but in Newcastle few new players Dave what did you make of them? Uh, Jeff Hendricks did well to get a goal otherwise me opinion would have been totally different he was completely non-existent before that um, but uh, Alan, Sh- Alan Shearer said he, he was uh, fantastic the whole game yeah, I, I, didn't, I, didn't see, I, I didn't see that game that I would share. I was watching him have to say. I thought he was very poor for that for the whole lot of it. He had four touches or three touches, I think, before he got the goal. Great finish. Nothing wrong with it. And then one nice pass over the top. But that's what happens in this game. Like, you know, remember remember just before Maguire went to United, everyone was like how brilliant he was. But it was more so on the fact that he scored goals for England in the summer, not the fact that he's a defender. And that was one of them late months. He gets a goal and all of a sudden he's brilliant. It was a typical fan's opinion, in my opinion. In the first half, he had three touches before that goal, crack and finish, but wasn't really in it at all at all. Wilson was lively and was buzzing around and uh, uh, Lewis looked quite busy as well on, on, on the left-hand side. So they were slightly more impressive. But overall, another job well done for Steve Prince, to be honest. Um one or two players that have come in. Hendrick could easily slot in and, and, and consistently a consistent player from this season. But the goal, in my opinion, masked the fact that he was very very anonymous for most of the game. Yeah, I was just looking at Jeff Hendrick's stats there for, for the game. His total pass is twenty seven, accurate pass is twenty one, so we did seventy seven percent pass accuracy. He had one shot which was obviously on target. His defensive aerial wins, none. Successful tackles, none. Interceptions, one. That's not what you want to see from a midfielder. So maybe maybe you know a bit more than Shearer knows, Dave, on, on that one. Nathan Callum Wilson. I, I wrote a piece about Newcastle feeling that they lacked ambition 
in the transfer market again. Going for Callum Wilson, who's in a team that got relegated, has only scored more than 10 goals in one season, which was two seasons ago. Um, but in Ryan Fraser, you have to question his mentality, his attitude, his personality, leaving a club that brought him through the ranks. Lewis, left full, looks decent, so I, I no problem with that. Jeff Hendricks, again, a decent pro, but not a player that I think will will drive it on. Great goal the other night. And, and you look at them and they're playing against a relegation side, more than likely West Ham United. So you can't really judge too much off uh, beating West Ham. But Callum Wilson, do you think do you think he's going to be a success or, you know, will, will, will he kick Newcastle on? Well, that was one of Newcastle's uh, biggest problems last season was scoring goals and a lot of people, like, when you signed them, said, oh, that's a great sign and getting someone like Wilson in that you know is a natural goal scorer. But like I said, if you actually look at his record, his goal scoring record in the Premier League isn't that impressive, really. I think he'll, he'll do okay at Newcastle. I think Newcastle is, is, his, uh, is his level. I think he's just a, just that sort of a player. I, I don't think he's anything too special. Um, I think if you can get a little partnership going with Andy Carroll, I thought Carroll was quiet enough uh, against West Ham, but... I think if Carroll can be the one to sort of get the ball down as, as a target man that he is, he can sort of play off him. Same with Carroll, if he can get the ball down and introduce the same maximum into it, you could have, like, that's three goal scoring, well, supposedly goal scoring threats uh, going forward. But, yeah, I think he's a decent player, Wilson, and I think that he caught, like, I think even if he moves with a 4 3 3, maybe, like, that's a decent front three, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it still, still remains to be seen if it can be an actual, a consistent goal scorer. Because at the time of Bournemouth, he was always a busy enough player and he always looked decent. But the goals were never really flying in. It was, it was more so with group effort when Bournemouth were in the Premier League. So I think if you're going to really call him a, a, a very good Premier League goal scorer, and if you're going to tip, like people have already been tipping him for getting back into the England squad but I've never really seen him as anything special so yeah I, I think again like we were saying to people, a few people earlier I think you asked the wrong person like I'm not his biggest fan but yeah it's um, yeah it's suits him Newcastle it's a close out to him and he will get a couple of goals and but I, I won't see him going for a goal and do anytime soon to be honest yeah. West Ham Dave Explain West Ham. What, what what what's going? On? Why can't West Ham gather the momentum that they've wanted over the last few years? It's a big, big question. If there comes a time where I'm screwed, I'm going to go there because he didn't really show a lot of it on Saturday. But there comes a point where you pull the flasher on the Lacey or Nobles. There comes a point where when's the time to move them on? Uh, he's sitting there in the middle of the park. Is he there on just pure attitude alone? I'm not saying right him off, but, you know, it's a bit like Lee Catamol at Sunderland. You know, he was there for 10 or 12 years, but they were always at the bottom. Maybe you shouldn't be there, you know? And is Mark Noble one of them as well going, yeah, you're a good pro, you this, but they've all struggled and you're still in the same, you're still in the team. Like, are you the only shining light or are you part of the problem too? Um, but up front, Antonio, it's, it's the same. It's the same as Newcastle and one or two others. They little or nothing. Sebastian Haller has not has not shown enough at all up front. Antonio is a very much uh, streaky kind of player. Gets five or six and then disappears for a month or two and then maybe get three or four again. But he's not a consistent enough player. Declan Rice is getting battered online. Uh, there's a viral video going around now. It's purely on his bad touches and his bad passes. No, no doubt he wasn't quite that bad. But it's about a minute and a half, two minutes. And obviously, when you're just seeing all the bad stuff, it looks terrible. Some of the heavy touches and passes out the touch and passes straight into Newcastle. But it's 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 it's, it's they're typical mid-table to slightly lower teams that just there's just not enough there to really convince you that they're so dangerous and they have a soft centre. But as you, as you said, it's a big question. But it comes a point where you try and buy that one or two quality instead of 10 players worth 10, 15 million who literally are the exact same and don't add anything. They're just the same as what you already have. And that's the feeling I get from West Ham. Anyone that they buy or bring in is pretty much just the same as what they have. 
and they're not going to be any better. And if anything, they could get worse. That's that's the feeling I always get from West Ham. Yeah, I think if done. Nobody good. exciting even, isn't there? Like there's nobody even exciting in that West Ham team that you can see that'll drag them over hole or anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you've yeah, done a good job explaining them. They're very samey, I suppose, is the word, and, and never really yeah. improving on what they've had in the team. So, yeah. two o'clock Sunday, West Brom took on Leicester. Uh, Nathan, I want you to think about this one. Does it really sum <laughs> up? <laughs> does it really sum up the two teams when you look at their centre forwards? West Brom have Robinson up centre forward, and Leicester have Vardy. There's a big difference there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there's a little, yeah, there's, 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 there is a big, big, big difference there. Considering one of them isn't really, really a centre forward, world <laughs> class Robinson more of a winner than a centre forward. Um, and I actually had a bit something embarrassing. I put an article up before uh, the weekend. There. It's like, no, this reviewing, uh, previewing all the games. I and mean, they actually had West Brom down to win this one. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like they were, they are, they're being tipped to, uh, to be another team that's going to struggle. And yeah, they, they really had that the look of it, didn't they? Like, I know, like, the, the two goals or two penalties, but um, two of the three goals were penalties, but even just the general pay were just, just really poor. A lot, a lot of the lads just don't really look like they're up to, up to scratch to be playing in the Premier League. I know it's only one game, to weird to say, but it was just. Just, just really poor to watch. I thought uh, Leicester were a much better team than Fire. It's not even if you look at the Leicester team, at the squad, even in general. This is um, like I personally don't think they'll do as well as they done last year. But there's not, there's not really a weak spot uh, in that squad if, if you look. And they still have one or two decent players to come back. They've got like Johnny Evans and uh, who was suspended and Ricardo Pereira. It was out injured. They're still, still to come back into that team. So like, yeah, they were looking really decent shape. But pretty much, it's, it's similar to the Arsenal game. It's you, you won't get that excited about them beating West uh, West Brom away, away from home. But look, you have to deal with it as a team. You have to play. It's always can be difficult enough to, to play a newly promoted team away from home in the fourth game of the season. But I think it, it would have been a bit tougher if it was crowded uh, in the Hawthorns. But now they've decent enough win by Leicester. In fairness. Yeah, Dave Leicester. What can they do this year? Did they miss their opportunity of getting that top four? Are they are they capable yeah. of getting top four? Even you know in the next couple of seasons now with everyone else spending so big and and Leicester don't seem to be spending at all. Yeah, like I would have to agree hundred percent. I think last year was their chance when you consider we're talking about Arsenal looking like an improvement and, and better side. We're obviously going to mention the fact that Chelsea have bought big and in theory will be an improved and better side. United kind of already were and overtook Leicester and are a better side. And then you've got Liverpool and City. And then that's not including the likes of Spurs either in, in the equation. And then you've got potentially Everton kind of coming up to their level as well. So it's very, very tough. They're not exactly going to spend 60, 70 million to try and get the next level of player. But I know it's not ultimately Rodgers, but he always seems to pull one or two of these guys out of the bag and Thomas Castagna looked very solid yesterday and you're kind of going, is this another one of these where others potentially have missed the boat on a guy who only cost 20, 25 million? But uh, Harvey Barnes uh, impressed yesterday as well and of course, Barry still does what he does but in relation to Champions League, you know, yeah, 100% last year was it and it, it, it just, well, put it this way, it can still be done but the, the, the hill's a hell of a lot deeper considering the improvement on the other, other teams around them and even underneath them now. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think they'll do, they'll do relatively well. They'll have uh, a few yeah. games where they'll upset teams, but I just don't know if they unless unless they do something special now in the transfer window between now and October. But at the moment, with the team yeah. they have, I think they'll be pushing for top four. I'm not sure they'll get there. And if Vardy goes, as you said, no, if Vardy goes missing uh, through injury or even oh. gold route. That's where they could see their problems. Now, the next uh, game was probably the game that I was looking forward to most over the weekend. Uh, obviously, you, you were looking forward to Le- Le- Liverpool and Leeds, Dave, but uh, Spurs, Spurs and Everton was the one that interested me so much because this is a game where Jose Mourinho couldn't hide behind any excuses. 
he has his team back there you know uh, it was interesting as well because Everton had bought in a few players uh, in midfield the likes of uh, Alan Decore uh, Rodriguez came into the side as well so these were all players that were exciting for Everton interesting to see how they'd fit in would they start they did and uh, at the end of it all Jose Mourinho came out with a few excuses Dave I was just like, ah, you just told me so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have any excuses. <laughs> Straight away, it was uh, a couple of his players uh, contracted uh, coronavirus. Harry Kane has only had one session. The so-called, uh, they, they've only just had two. There's been a distinct lack of training. And, yes, yeah, it's got nothing to do with the fact that another team who are very close rivals in, in, in on paper before it's the whole season starts. Uh, done a better job than you. Um, but yeah, he definitely came out with a bang, all right. And uh, it, it was very much one I was looking forward to for two reasons. Yes, obviously, there's the signings that Everton made and you want to see what kind of sparks you could get from them. You're not going to make up your opinion of them in just one one game, but you wanted to see what kind of party bring into the table. And then, obviously, because I presume one or two years, uh, the two years are the same, I've been watching the all or nothing sports piece and... Uh, you think you know the team a little bit better and you know Mourinho a little bit better so you're kind of you want to see a bit of the uh, the nuances of the team you can kind of think you know a little bit more because of the flow of the water taking entry but in, um, yeah Mourinho was bang at it again already set his stall out he's, he's not a happy bunny and if that, that was a common theme in the documentary about his players being lazy and his players being nice I can't say what he wanted them to be for obvious reasons but it's one of the ultimate bad words Beginning with a C, very small. Uh, he says that's what he wants them to be from time to time, and of course they haven't. And I think the squad that he has, they never will be. But uh, once again, they were nice. Once again, they were lazy. He hooked Demi Ali at half time. Yeah, that was one of the first scenes in the first episode or two where he jumped on him straight away about him being lazy and him kind of drifting away from the defensive aspects of the game. So. Um, by watching what you, what I've seen from last season and what I've seen yesterday, not much has changed. So it's like, how can you not? Like, yeah, he's obviously going to play mothers, but I'd be starting strongly putting the focus on him because nothing seems to change from the deficiencies that he was finding uh, throughout the season uh, based on that documentary. Yeah, and you look at the excuses that he had. He said, we didn't have a pre-season. Well, none of the teams did have a pre-season. Everyone's <laughs> in the same boat. Um, but... This, one of the players he picked out was Matt Doherty. He said Matt Doherty's not fit. He's a, he's a, he's a right fullback. He you talked about this Dave before about you know he's played wing back most of his career with Ireland. We thought he they might go into a back three and and you know play wing backs as well. They didn't. He seemed uncomfortable there with Ireland. He seemed uncomfortable again at the weekend. Yeah, exactly. And him taking him off kind of really highlights that even more. So I know it's only his first game, so I'm not going to be overly critical. It's some, some players take a while to bet in. Certainly Mourinho is very demanding on the defensive aspect of the game. Dardy's going to have to obviously sharpen up to that and sharpen up wisely because Mourinho can easily um, shift him out. I don't think he will. But it's going to be very interesting over the next coming weeks to see the Dardy tighten it up, providing they stick with a back ball, which... Obviously, with the the, the, the team and, and, and the attacking options that they have, looks like that's the way it's going to be. Especially a high bar come in, he knows Harry Winks. And then you've got the front four, well, the, the support three behind Harry Kane of Mora, Ali and Son, and then Kane of Stop. It's a fairly solid looking 4 2 3 1, and it looks like that's the way he'll do it. That's about, the way he'll move on. So. What about Eric Dyer in, in the back line? Does he fill your confidence? Or? Yeah. See, I always thought he was a centre-half and I always believed he was a centre-half but has he been in midfield now for a bit too long? Can you cut him flat? You can't cut him flat for too long. It's either he's going to play in there or that's it. It'll be very interesting if you can try and fit him into the mid. Like, is it one of them where he's just trying to fit him into the team? Because same again going into that country he's very fond of Eric Dyer he really does. He, he thinks he has the, the right attitude blah, 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 blah. So I just hope it's not a case of just trying to fit him in for the sake of it. He, he's always been a sitting midfielder, but I always believe him to be a better centre half. Because I just don't think he has the the real capability to be a centre midfielder 
because he plays when he's on the ball like a centre half. That's it, like Declan Wright. Deep down, their football abilities are more centre half capabilities, more so than a midfielder, in my opinion. And that's why they'll never really hit the heights at that level. In my opinion, that's just me. Um, so with Dyer, if that's where he's going to be, I'd give him a game or two. But it's very much he needs to he, he needs to tighten up quick because. Um, yeah, he was definitely a bit lacking yesterday. Nathan, last week Tony Cascarino was talking about Harry Kane. He mentioned he feels that he's not the same player that he was uh, before his injury and he reckons that his best days are behind him. Not that he won't score goals, but he doesn't think he's going to score goals anywhere near what he did before. What, what's your thoughts on that one? Um, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not the biggest Harry Kane fan. The world, I have to say, I think he's a good player and thinks like he is yeah, yeah. dangerous enough. I think he is dangerous enough and he will get you goals. But in terms of like, now, like I know, like the English press tend to get a bit carried away with some of these guys. Look, Delhi Ali's another one in that squad that when he came through, he thought he had him as one of the most exciting teenagers that's, that's coming through in the last decade. Harry Kane now would be a better player. Harry Kane would be a better player now than Deli Ali. It's kind of a different oh, yeah, a different no, level no, on yeah. the spectrum there, isn't it? I mean, if you're talking about no. Harry Kane up at an, an eight out of ten, Deli Ali must be down at five. Oh no, definitely though. Not compared to the two players. I'm just saying with just the English press sort of tend to have the the put these lads coming through on a bit of pedestal and they're never gonna really fulfill it. Like for me, like I was saying, like Kane is He's not often his average. He is a very good player, but nowhere near the world class heights. And people saying he wants to, he wants to leave sports and he's going to go to like Real Madrid and whatever. And I don't think he'd be a lawyer in a place like Madrid. Um, what about his goal scoring record? He's, he's he's banged in goals for the last four or five years in the Premier League. He's been fairly consistent. Yeah, consistent score. But I just think his overall buildings, overall play doesn't really match the heights that some sort of people put them on. Would it be like, better? No, would it be better than Martial up centre forward for Manchester United? I think he's more consistent than Martial. Like he's, his goal scoring record is more consistent. Like he's going to, he's always going to get you more more regular goals than Martial. But I think they're two slightly different players. I know uh, Martial lately is playing as a, as a central uh, striker, but I always find Martial more comfortable on the left hand side for Manchester United. But um, yeah, like it's. It's just I don't really see him going anywhere. Like going above really Tottenham. Really, like, I think we're talking about players like you now, play, like someone like Zaha playing in the, in the Champions League team at the moment. I, I couldn't really see Kane playing in any of the Champions League teams at the moment. If I'm honest, like we'd never just really rate him as this top world class player. Like that's going to be that's going to rival the likes of Gary Lineker and Wayne Rooney in the England squad. To be honest with you. Okay, Dave, I had a, a hear here in the background there. Tell well, us your I, thoughts. I don't think he's, I don't think he's world, world, world class, but he is, he's a world class finisher, I think, without a shadow of a doubt. I would like to see him elsewhere just to see how he will be, especially in a top, top side where he's not the sole focal point because everything is based around him, of course. It's all about him. He is the man and he enjoys that. There's no denying he enjoys, he enjoys that. Um, so I'd love to see him somewhere else where he mightn't necessarily be the man and will he still produce? Because I think without a shadow of a doubt, there's no denying how good he is as a finisher. Like, uh, uh, I can't think of it now, but the, the second or third last game of the season where he showed his class again in wire, and was not wire, right? What is actually Tottenham's ground called? Is it called the Tottenham Stadium? Yeah, it's just the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's, it's, it's only now it's kind of gone, it's what's it called? Um, <laughs> he, he, curled, he was given a yard and he curled, curled him inside the post uh, within a couple of minutes. Because that's how dangerous he is as a finisher. Potentially, can he run around the way? I don't think he ever did run around and leaving the line all on his own. Like, as I said, I think he's a very strong support network in the likes of your sons and Ali and obviously Mora. And there's others in, over the last few years who do a lot of the groundwork. As I said, everything is focused on him and everything revolves around him. And he's quite comfortable in that. So I just love to see him in another environment to see what he still produces or how he would cope with being just a team member and not just the member. Um, so that's where I'd love to see it, just to see the, the, the dynamic and how he would be. Because it's a little bit like that with England as well. It's still very much centred around him and the tree behind him and, and full of pace and all the running off the ball and then it just slots into him and he seems to tap it in. Don't get me wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
but I just wouldn't mind seeing him somewhere else where he has to do not has to do a shift, but everything's not around him, and there there is other guys who are there to get the goals as well. And I'd just like to see how he cope with it, and if he still does it there, I would definitely tip me cap to him. That's for sure. Yeah, I'd like to see him in the team that dominate possession and uh, like I suppose like the way the sports team did go I do think that the Mourinho's tactics are going against his game and I think it's going to show him up a little bit that um, you know he is he is a box in around the box he'll score your goals and if he has to do work from the halfway line and try and score goals from there it's just not going to benefit him at all it doesn't it doesn't sue him so um, I think for his sake I think he's best off leaving and going to a team that could dominate it. as I said to you Barcelona are looking for players I'd love to see him at Barcelona I'd love to see him at you know of course I'd love to see him at Manchester United because I think he, he'd do really well there but anyhow that's that's to be seen someone who is doing well is Calvert-Lewin he's turned into a fine striker again scored an unbelievable header but his overall game has been brilliant He he's holding the ball up excellently link play is great um, with the likes of Rodriguez and Allen and Richarlison, who is as consistent as many, and I'm surprised that no one has come in for him. Um, they do. There is there, Dave. There's there's something there, isn't there? Oh, it's a bit. Uh, I, ne- I nearly sang again, Shano. I nearly went there. Uh, in the beat there. Uh, there may be something there that wasn't there before. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I nearly sang. Uh, but yeah, like being a Liverpool fan, I'm a real like, oh, hold your horses, lad, calm down. We've been here before. But maybe not, to be honest. You've got a manager who's no doubt has the potentials in Carlo Ancelotti. And he's brought in not just Rodriguez, but he's potentially got in two guys who's going to do the absolute heavy lifting into Corey and Alan, who by all accounts, Alan has, is a box-to-box non-stop. And we all know the attributes of the Corey. Them being the support to midfielders to let the likes of um, Andre Gomez, Richarlison and Hamid Rodriguez to support Calvert-Lewin, it could be the perfect balance. And it's another 4-2-3-1, uh, uh, but it's definitely a slightly better version, I think, potentially on paper. Um, but definitely Rodriguez looked nice yesterday, nice left through, given plenty of space. i tell you one thing, Seamus Coleman will learn his wages this year because there was a spell for about the first half an hour where I think they were trying to get at him on the back of the fact that they wouldn't expect Rodriguez to defend and uh, they really got at him in fairness he, he handled it quite well but he'll definitely earn his way this year by the looks of it if that's the case I'm not saying it's going to be a weak spot but he'll definitely have to work hard but I think that the Corey Allen signings are going to potentially be the ones that are the the reason why your Rodriguez could potentially work because they'll take some of his workload off and let him do what he does best. Yeah, no, I'm and I total agreement with you. I thought Seamus Coleman was excellent and showed the player that he he still is. Thank, thankfully for the Republic of Ireland because uh, he is a rifle. Uh, so that does play, play into our hands. Just quote briefly over the two games that finished tonight. It was Sheffield United were beaten by Wolves 2-0 and uh, if Sheffield United don't realise that David McGoldrick has to play in absolutely every game Nathan they do now Yeah do it like we all know they were the overachievers of um, of, of last season but uh, yeah I was surprised actually didn't do the start for them now to be honest which I like just the game was really killed off in the first 10 minutes and Sheffield United were very flat in the first half they came into a little bit more in the second half but it just they were really missing something up top. Like the the, the partnership of uh, McBurney and Sharp just didn't work together whatsoever. It was just there's just nothing really up there. So I think like we all we know McGoldrick isn't gonna come in and he isn't gonna be a leading goal scorer by any stretch of the imagination, but he just offers that little bit of strength and that little bit of just a little bit of uh, of presence up there, you know. It's like, the link really up play, is, isn't it? He just brings people into the very, game. Yeah. He's a very under—I was to say—he's a very underrated uh, link-up player and a whole of player for me. Like even in the Ireland squad, like you know, you're always going to see him. You're not, you know, you really know and expect that many goals out of him. But what he brings to the overall team and to the overall play—it's—it it's really is valuable, and especially a team like Sheffield United. Like over the transfer window, he didn't make make massive marquee signings because that's just not who they are. Like they rely on players like McGoldrick who are tough, solid. So we're going to walk 
extremely hard for the team and that's what you're going to get out when week in week out so I think they really did miss him in the starting 11 I know he came on but I think they really could have done with him for the, for the, the whole game to be honest yeah Dave another win for Wolves they just keep motoring on and I seen yeah. a stat there the other day they actually have four more or more Portuguese teams than four of the Portuguese league clubs um, so <laughs> with I think it's with 12 or 13 players so yeah they, they, they definitely know where their, their well is to go for players but he's, he's doing a brilliant job 100% you know he he hasn't gone too well this year I know he's brought an up and coming 18 year old um, who was one of the hot talents uh, from Porto if I'm not mistaken um, but at the same time it's pretty much a similar starting eleven. Uh, Marcel obviously came in in the midfield but he's freshened it up but at the same time he's still going with the Trident uh, and true and he's got some top players there who are still who still have levels if you know what I mean there's still one or two who can go up another level or two um, but another top side who are great to watch and who don't have the fear factor when they're playing the big boys and hence why they'd be in the top half of the table and I know we talk about Leicester and we talk about, uh, well, Leicester trying to break into that uh, top six, but, you know, the cup, not, not, I'm not saying it's going to be a top ten, but you can see who the top ten pretty much are going to be. So, like, your Everton and Wolves and Leicester joining the other six and potentially Leeds come in there and then the rest of them, and that's purely based on how I've seen Leeds play. But whatever the excuses are, whatever how we allegedly the league was last year I don't think we can quite say it this year there's a lot of sides who improve and there's a lot of sides who still are doing what they do and Wolves are certainly one of them and they're one of the good they're just well run um, I know they have a great well there in Portugal and obviously a great, a serious link to the super agent George Mendes which obviously helps so they're just another one of them sides who as I said I haven't got the fear factor in relation to the big boys and uh they're not a team that us United you know, and Liverpool fans want to come up against too often. Last game was Liverpool, or Chelsea and Brighton. And yeah. Chelsea took the three points. It was interesting to look at Chelsea's formation, well, official formation. It was down as a 4 2 2 2. It, it kind of did play like that at times with Havertz and, and Mount drifting inside. But. What's your thoughts, uh, Nathan? What's your thoughts on Chelsea tonight and how they shaped up? I suppose how how did they look? I thought the three one scoreline uh, might flatter them a little bit. You know, I mean, not someone that's gone. If someone didn't watch the game and goes on and sees they won three one, you'd expect the dominance of performance. I thought, especially in the first half, you were really you rolled that look and you were very lucky to go in a half time when they looked. Start the first half, the passing was poor. I picked there, I thought uh, Loftus Cheek in that number 10 role was, was very average. I know it's a tough, tough game for, uh, for Hazards coming in, but he, he struggled to really get into the game. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was only really when he got the third goal, like, you seeing that he sort of relaxed a little bit and that he, he could sort of be, be happy enough. But, um, but, yeah, I thought the 3-1 uh, really did flatter him a little bit. But there's a couple of... A couple of decent performances. I thought James and Royce back on pretty well. Uh, look, I know uh, Jorginho in the middle. He's, he's a bit of a disposable figure, but you know you're going to get out of him. And I thought he was solid enough. I thought he was uh, out of the midfield three for me. Well, there were a lot of cheek contain himself. I thought he was the best out of them three. And uh, we're not sort of fed off scraps a little bit. There wasn't really much, much uh, to him. Like he obviously was the main talking point for him was the penalty, which you now he's for me he was blatantly taken down. But um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a decent win for them away from home. But they, they'll certainly have a, have a lot to work on in the next couple of weeks if they're going to um to get the new lads to come in and gel together and if they're going to do as well as a lot of us expected them to do with the assignments that they made. Yeah, Dave, Loftus Cheek and Mount most likely are going to be sitting on the bench once the new players come in. Exactly, like um, that's definitely one of them games where you go. As a Chelsea fan or as Frank Lampard, sweet three points, let's jog on. You know we're not quite there yet. As I say, as you alluded to, obviously Pulisic was missing as well, which was a form player at the end of the lockdown. And then 
obviously on a lesser extent Thiago Silva can come in and help out uh, obviously Zuma and Christensen played there today and then you've got Ziyech and even Ben Chilwell a left back was missing so there's four or five players to slot in and, and back and obviously if Ziyech and Pulis just come in yeah they're, 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 de- they're definitely the likely two Havertz is going to take a little while to get in you can see the legs there and credit to him in fairness with about 15 minutes ago he, he sloppily lost the ball and in fairness, he managed to stick with the with the with the counter attack, and only for the legs went in the Brighton player, he was able to get back and kind of win the ball in in, in, in his own box. Credit where credit's due, but um, yeah, pretty much struggled for most of the game. But uh, given that, he walked his, his socks off for that, so it was a good attitude. Bernard, as he said, set off scraps. But I'd be as a as a fan or as Frank Lampard, just yeah, three points. Job well done. Let's move on, and we'll we'll have to get better when the when the boys come back come in. Yeah, Nathan. I was actually watching the game uh, as we went on, and um, you were saying where I was getting interviewed. He had a, his, his knees right now. He was pretty heavily taped up with some yeah. ice around it. So I wonder what that was about. It was, it was kind of a. Uh, I think it was from the penalty. It was like a knee on knee. Yeah. So I think it was one yeah. of them that just kind of grew more and more awkward. You know yourself, then once you stop running around and you, the adrenaline the uh, goes away, you do the one that sort of peak up and start and begin to hold you. But yeah, I was, I was just thinking there, I wonder if it was anything too serious because that would be a disaster for him because he'd be looking to, to really kick on and get a, just get his first Premier League goal out of the way as soon as possible. Yeah, um, Nathan Kepa was chosen again to start again this season. He was dropped on two different occasions last season for two different periods. What is your thoughts now on Kepa? Again, he, he doesn't, for me, he doesn't give confidence as, as a goalkeeper for me. There's always a little something there that, you know, you're you're waiting for a, a little mishap. Yeah, for me, he's, he's, just, he's the weak point of that whole team. Like, I think that the, um, I know the defence was, the attack going forward, they were never, I think there was never any questions about Chelsea going forward last season. But I think at defensively, he could improve. Look, I'm not like the biggest fan of Thiago Silva, but look, you never know. He could come in and do very well. But Kepa, for me, is the weak link of that team. And even for for the Brighton goal, I know it was a decent finish, but I look back at it and he should be doing better. Like, it, it, it did. It felt like right sort of between his hands. And at first, I just thought it was a crack and finish, but the more I seen the replay, the more I thought he really could have done better. He just has, he just never just sort of adapted to the league at all. I don't know if it's a physical major or anything. But even seeing like his biggest problem isn't even you know like dropping balls and crosses. It seems to be from there, uh, shots coming in from outside the box. I think he's the highest conceded amount of the goals scored from outside the box uh, in the league in the past uh, one, or, uh, two, one or two seasons. Yeah, he looked very so slow. He, he looked very slow, up, Nathan, yeah, get, getting down on that on that ball there today. And as you yeah. said, it was from distance, but he seemed to want to go and meet the ball. It was as if he was waiting for it to bounce so he could flick it away. And then when he went to go for it, then he, he waited too long and, and, it, and it went by him. It looked like he had loads of time to get there and just didn't. Yeah, like I was saying, when I first seen it, I thought, well, that's a great strike right in the corner. I know people are not saving that. But the more I seen it, it's just like, just this, his, his shot's not in a bit of ability just since before. Like, you can always walk on your ability to come across and, then, you know, like, that will always come with confidence. But if you have a keeper that's just not, not, it's good shot stopper. It's not even a good foundation to start off and to build from. So he definitely is the weak point of the team. And I think with the the limit of the thing was what twenty days left of the window. I think if I was Frank Lampard, that would be definitely um, an issue I'd be trying to fix before the window closes because it's really and it's not an isolated isolated incident. Like he is very prone to mistakes and he shot that in the ability has just always been very poor since he came to Chelsea. Yeah, Dave. Finish off with Brighton. What do you make of them? They're trying to play football. It gets them in trouble sometimes. When you look at the yeah. other teams that played over the weekend, do they have enough in them, as in their style and the players that they have around the team to, you know, comfortably see off the relegation zone? I don't think it'll be comfortable. Um, I think they might have enough. Um, watching over the whole weekend I would probably stick my neck out already and say West Brom and Fulham are in trouble I have a funny feeling not funny feeling I wouldn't be surprised if the clubs are looking at the current pandemic and the lack of fans and the financial aspect of it and they haven't really overly spent coming up are they going to be sensible bank the premiership money 
and when things get back to normal, have another run of that. I'm not saying they're going to get relegated on board, but I think ultimately they would love to stay up. But I'd say let's not overspend and put ourselves in trouble considering we're not going to make as much money as we would have liked this year. Um, I just have that funny feeling they haven't done enough yet. And you can see the distinct lack of uh, firepower up front for West Brom. And in fairness, anyone who goes down tends to have poor up front. Brighton, Mope, Trotsard was there, but he was more kind of behind them. And then Connolly, they don't really have a striker that really strikes fear in me either. So that's why I think they're going to struggle a little bit. But I think the likes of Fulham and West Brom are in trouble as well, purely on that fact that I don't think they're going to overstand or really try and push the ball out because of the financial implications of the current pandemic and the way it is, bank the money and stay strong. And if they do end up going down, obviously that's not the intention. If they do, they can be the strongest championship side and come straight back up and when things are back to normal, really kind of try and go at it, which is a sensible move in my opinion. But Brighton, not, I'm not saying if, if what I said was true, there's two down, there's only one more spot. You know, that's why I'd fancy Brighton to maybe have enough, but they are definitely going to be in the mix. They're going to be in the bottom six. Like okay. We'll talk to you next week. We'll have a, a lot more and a lot more leagues coming back as well. So uh, it'll be an interesting week. Dave, Nathan, thanks very much. Cheerio. Cheers, lads.